If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John 1. Uh, We will transition uh, to uh, the sermon here. And before we kind of get into the text, I just have a quick question for you. And that is a question uh, that we ask our staff from time to time. Uh, We ask our elders from time to time. uh, And we just ask ourselves from time to time. And that's simply, how are you doing? We're going to do a quick exercise here. I want you to take a deep breath in and then a deep breath out. Some of you I know only halfway participated there, uh, so we're actually going to do it again. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. As we breathe in and breathe out and we ask ourselves, how are we doing? We think about the events of the last year and we have watched uh, as a church and just as a society, the level of anger, arrogance, uh, just confusion and hurt that people across our country and across our churches have been experiencing. I can't help but feel like many of you at times just kind of overwhelmed uh, at different points. There's some days where I feel like I have hit my stride where everything's making sense. And then, uh, you know, I wake up the next morning and something happens or an event on the news or something is going on, you know, this way or that. And I feel overwhelmed uh, again and confused again. Whether it's how to respond to COVID-19 or impeachment or Virtual school, this world feels like a mess, and to be honest, it feels like it's getting harder as the weeks go on. I think we all kind of knew, but secretly hoped, knew that it it wasn't going to be true, but secretly hoped that in 2021, uh, it would be a different year, be a a new chapter, and feel a lot easier, Um, but it can feel absolutely overwhelming, just like 2020 has felt. We come to church on Sunday and sign in for a number of reasons, don't we? Maybe it's to fellowship and see your friends. Maybe it's to hear worship music and sing along in your home. Maybe it's to laugh either at Malik's joke or, you know, some way that I mess up the technology on a Sunday morning. Whether you come as another week to hear the communion liturgy and be reminded of the peace that comes through confession of sin and be reminded of the gospel uh, that declares you righteous because of Christ or to listen to the sermon and or to listen to the sermon where God's truth is spoken over us and we're reminded of who Jesus is and who we are. These are the reasons that we gather on Sunday morning, even as we gather virtually. But I dare say that many of us, and maybe this is every year, but especially this year, have come to church on Sunday morning hoping to be encouraged again. You're tired, you're weary, we're run down, and we desperately want some wind in our sails to be encouraged as we go forth on another Monday and tackle another week. A few years ago, well, it's actually probably four or five years ago, but nevertheless, I ran a half marathon with Diane. Diane's my wife, and Diane is 
a runner. She uh, was did track and field and cross country in high school. She actually was a pole vaulter for a year at our college in South Carolina. And I am, am not, you know, built the same way. I run for two reasons. One is so that I can see my grandkids one day, and two, uh, just for the sake of my own mental health, to be honest. But anyways, we're running this half marathon four, five, six years ago down at Callaway Gardens, and I'd only run one other race before that, and that's the Peachtree Road Race. And for some reason, when we started this half marathon, I expected there to be seven, eight, ten thousand people just along the side of the path, kind of cheering us on. Well, sadly, down, you know, an hour south of Atlanta in this little uh, kind of route uh, along this along this uh, kind of wooded area, that uh, wasn't the case. There were no thousands of people. It was actually a little more like a hundred and spread out over 13 miles. I'm just telling you, it doesn't feel like a lot. Well, as I hit mile six or seven of the 13.1 miles, I realized that 13.1 miles is actually a long way to run, and I was getting tired. Well, how half marathons work is you can't really just stop. I mean, you're I'm at six or seven miles. I'm six or seven miles away. It's a big loop. I'm that far away from the start line, which is also the finish line, and I am getting exhausted, and I can't talk really because running is very tiring and overwhelming, Um, but I needed some encouragement to be able to make it to the finish line. So I kid you not, at about six or seven miles in, I decided I was going to high-five everyone I could find. There'd be some kid who was out there with his hand out waiting for his dad, uh, and I would see that kid kind of put his hand out, and his dad was behind me, and I would kind of sprint over and just kind of steal a high five from some seven-year-old. There'd be some old lady, you know, 50 feet ahead of me. I would lock eyes, kind of start making a high five motion. She would kind of sheepishly put out her hand, and I would high five gently, high five that old lady's hand. There were some folks that were just absolute high five professionals. You could tell this was not their first rodeo, and they were just excited to give anybody and everybody a high five, and I was so thankful to find them. And as I think about how we're doing, I think back to that race. I think back to six or seven miles in and how desperately I needed encouragement, how desperately I needed a boost. And I think that that is so often or is often true for us in 2020 and in 2021. And I want to say that this passage today from John 1 is for me and it is for you. This is a high five, seven miles into the race, wind in our sails, cold water to a parched throat, and prayerfully an opportunity for you to walk away this Sunday morning encouraged by the Lord. Let's open our Bibles to John 1, chapter, or John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. 
When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the scripture. We're so grateful that we come and are fed, are nourished through the preaching of the word. We recognize that we as humans, we are, are have faults. Uh, we come and do not have an understanding, a grasp on truth in and of ourselves, but we come to you seeking truth. We come to you trusting that we can submit to the authority of Scripture because it comes from you and it is for our good. Father, may we be a people molded by the Scriptures. Father, I pray that you would continue to grow us as a family. Even in this difficult time, we praise you for the way that you have used the people at Redeemer to love our neighborhood well, to love our community well, but also be an encouragement to one another. But I know that not everyone is doing wonderful right now. I know that there are those who are hurting physically, those who are hurting spiritually, those that feel disconnected relationally. And Father, I pray that through the work of the Holy Spirit that we would be able to see opportunities to encourage and love each other and and move forward and be the hands and feet of Christ to one another. Father, keep growing us up. Keep growing us in to the church that you long for us to be. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. What we have in this passage from John 1, this story of Jesus' first disciples making a decision to follow him, what we have is a beautiful invitation to a life that may not give the what to all the questions for every one of life's problems, but this passage will give us a beautiful invitation to interact with the who, the who that gives peace, that gives comfort and unity in the midst of chaos. The beauty of the Lord bringing this passage, this particular passage from John 1 to us this Sunday, is that through the Holy Spirit, we can recenter back on who Christ is and who we are called to be. We can recenter back from the fogginess that we sometimes experience during the week, even the fogginess of a Sunday morning. So if you have felt overwhelmed, brothers and sisters, lean in. So what is going on in this passage in John 1? Well, this is the beginning of the Gospel of John, and Jesus' first disciples are starting to jump on board. John the Baptist, what an epic guy that is, is hanging with his disciples. John's disciples sees Jesus and says before this passage, earlier on in chapter 1, says, Behold the, the Lamb of God. So two of John's disciples, Andrew, who was obviously a wonderful guy given a name like that, and Simon Peter, who Jesus renames just Peter, sees Jesus and begins to follow him. 
This gets us to verse 43, and Jesus has decided to leave for Galilee, and Philip invites him to follow him, which he does. So Philip has just been invited to follow Jesus, and what does Philip do? He does exactly what I think all of us would have done. He experiences Jesus and instantly thinks of his friend. He thinks of Nathaniel, and he runs to get him. And this is just a beautiful picture, uh, brothers and sisters, of what friendship looks like. So these two who love each other dearly, Philip and Nathaniel, and the first thing Philip does when he sees the Savior, he sees the Messiah, he he says, I'm going to go find Nathaniel. And what we see here is an example of what it is for us to be friends. And first and foremost, that means that we are people that point others to Jesus. The most loving way we care for our friends and family, our neighbors, our community, is to point them to Jesus. This made me think about a conversation I had uh, two or three weeks ago with Christy, who is our outreach coordinator and runs a lot of the outreach efforts that we have as a church. And our outreach staff, which is Christy, Maureen, and Mona, have done an incredible job of meeting the tangible needs, of seeking to meet the tangible needs of our neighbors in the midst of a pandemic. And they've done an incredible job of connecting lonely seniors to families in the church uh, and individuals in the church. Uh, They have done an incredible job of recognizing that so many of our neighbors have lost jobs and how can we support them? We can give them food to put on their tables. It allows them to save money to spend it on other things like their utilities and rent. They have been tangibly being the hands and feet of Christ and inviting the rest of us to participate in these efforts in a very real way. However, a few weeks ago when I was talking to Christy, she came and she wanted to tell me what I'm seeing over and over again in our neighbors, is that they have questions, they want prayer, and they want someone to talk with them about the Bible. She said to me, Pastor Drew, we have got to figure, keep figuring out ways to tell our neighbors about Jesus. Despite all the efforts that we do, and they are so good, and we are so thankful for these opportunities that we have as a church to be the tangible hands and feet of of Christ with meeting physical needs, at the end of the day, we need to meet physical needs, and we need to point people to Jesus with those actions and with those words, inviting them to interact and have a relationship with Christ. And we all say amen to this, but the second thing we see from Philip, maybe even a little bit harder and challenging, is that Philip displays friendship by the patience and humility he shows to Nathaniel. Now, what am I saying here? What, is, what are we talking about? Well, think about what Nathaniel said when Philip first said, here's Jesus coming from Nazareth. Philip, or Nathaniel responds, and he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there. Now let this sink in. Let that question sink into you. Literally, Nathaniel responds to Philip saying that he has found the Son of God. And Nathaniel responds by making a hurtful, stereotyping comment about the place Jesus is from. Nathaniel's first reaction to hearing about Jesus is bathed in sin. John Piper, a a pastor up in Minneapolis, said of Nathaniel in this passage, his view of these people is so negative, people from Nazareth, is so negative that he sweeps all of them into 
a stereotype, including Jesus. His reaction is immediate. He does not consider the possibility that Philip might know what he's talking about. He's temporarily blinded by his prejudice. This is like if someone's saying, oh, he's from fill-in-the-blank, Buckhead, McDonough, Johns Creek, Vine City, rural South Georgia, and then spouts off a hurtful generalization, a prejudice, a stereotype about that part of town or that part of our state. Imagine if this happened today. If that happened today, the temptation of Philip would be to say something or think something along the lines of, I just don't know. I'm going to take a step back here. I just don't know if I want to introduce this man to Jesus. I mean, Nathaniel, he seems like he has some real issues. And if I bring him, maybe Jesus thinks that I'm like him and I'm judgmental and sinful. And it's probably safer for me just to distance myself from Nathaniel. Or probably just as likely in 2020, 2021, Philip would be tempted to not just distance himself from Nathaniel, but to make a stink about what Nathaniel has said. And in, in essence, in our language today, cancel Nathaniel. In 2021, somehow it has been misconstrued as a Christian virtue, not to simply bear the fruit of the gospel, love, patience, kindness, gentleness, but somehow we've also slipped in a fruit of the Spirit being how mad and how loud can I put down other Christians who I think are wrong and in sin. Friends, we should call out sin. Don't get me wrong. But may, may we be much more like Philip who sees a man who has just sinned. Instead of canceling him, he brings him to Jesus. I read an article by Psychology Today about the cancel culture. And, and I'm not going to get all, you know, I have a separate sermon all about that. But I want, I was struck by the top three reasons people are drawn to it. And it's number one is that canceling people increases your social status. Number two, canceling people reduces the social status of our enemies. And number three, canceling strengthens our own social bonds. So we have an, an effort to make ourselves feel better and make others feel worse and to increase our social bond, our social equity by other people liking us. We are, we are canceling, are tempted to cancel other people by looking at them saying, what, because of the actions you have committed, you are irredeemable in my sight. Friends, does that sound like Christianity to you? No. May we as Christians look at the self-righteousness of the world and in our own hearts and recognize that we as the people of God, should be the most patient and most humble people on this earth. We do not dismiss sin, and we are going to talk about that in just a moment, but may we also never look at somebody as irredeemable. And you and I need to ask the question, we, this will lead us to the difficult question of, if we were in Philip's shoes and, and someone sinned beside us, what sin would be committed, would we would be tempted to not want to introduce that person to Jesus? Who in your life, who fits the mold of someone that you say is irredeemable? Who would you not be willing to introduce to Jesus? 
someone who is rich and arrogant about their wealth, someone who is poor and outcast from society, someone who is too far right politically or too far left politically. We have to ask ourselves the question, who would we not be willing to introduce to Jesus? Because there's no one on this earth that Jesus is not being willing to be introduced to. So Nathaniel is invited to come and see, and what does that mean? What's the purpose of this? Philip is inviting Nathaniel not just to come and see with his eyes, but to connect and ultimately to follow Jesus. This means that Nathaniel is invited into a relationship with Christ, invited into being personally connected with Jesus. He's not just a fan of the miracles. He is intimately, relationally connected. And what does this mean? First and foremost, it means that Nathaniel, as well as us, must trust that Jesus must trust Jesus enough to truly follow him. That means to let him lead us. That means to submit to him. That means he is in charge and we are to follow. And how do I know this? Where do we get this from the scripture? Well, we see in verse 51 where Jesus is talking to Nathaniel and the other disciples. And he says something so profound. He says, very truly, I tell you. When you see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here we see in this last verse that we read in verse 51, uh, Jesus quoting Genesis 28, which is about Jacob and the stairway to heaven. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But at the beginning of this verse, something that is so easy to skip over, it is unbelievably significant. What he says at the beginning of verse 51, he says, Very truly, I tell you. The NIV, in an effort to make this more readable, kind of missed the forest for the trees with the translation from the Greek here. The KJV, the King James Version, or as Pastor Matt calls it, the King Jimmy Version, does a better job. He translates the Greek to verily, verily, I tell you. But even that's kind of difficult for us to understand the significance of because I don't know about you, but verily, verily is not something I kind of hear in an everyday conversation. But the best translation for this is probably amen and amen. But you ask yourself, well, that's cool. Thanks for the Greek lesson. But why is this important? And I wanted you to understand that the words amen and amen are at never, uh, nowhere else in the Old Testament or the New Testament used at the beginning of what someone says or beginning of a prophetic word. This phrase, amen, amen, was used in that day only after someone spoke in the synagogue. What would happen is they would have a speaker come and expound on the scripture, and then the people, kind of the, the elders of the crowd, would come and say amen and amen as a way to affirm the words of another. So it was kind of a test of someone would speak and then the people, uh, kind of the judge and jury would say, okay, that was good. Amen and amen. We affirm that that was from the word of God as a way to say we've listened to the speaker and can affirm that their words are in line with the scripture. But instead of waiting for someone else to affirm him, Jesus opens what he says here. Then he quotes the Old Testament, opens what he says by saying, amen and amen. And what he's saying in that moment is what I'm about to say is truth. It's affirmed. and It's what you should follow. 
Brothers and sisters, this is a snapshot into what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Discipleship is not looking at the words of Jesus and waiting for us to be able to say amen and amen, or I don't know about that. We don't read the words of Jesus and say, well, let's see if the world around us will accept that. If they're good with that, then we're going to say amen and amen to it. It doesn't mean we read the words of Jesus and we're deciding if it jives with our way of life. It doesn't mean we read the words of Jesus and we say, I'm not sure. I mean, that's your truth, but is that my truth? And this isn't just the red letter words in the Bible. No, Jesus affirms the entire Old Testament. When you see a reference to this in John 10, you see him quoting the Old Testament throughout his time on earth. We see that the New Testament has been written by followers of Jesus, affirmed as the inspired and authoritative word of God. Therefore, what Jesus is saying here to you and I as followers of Christ, even before we open up the Bible, he's saying amen and amen. You can trust this. This is truth. So discipleship, come and see, follow me, means that we sign up to follow Christ and follow his word, even when it is hard and difficult, even when it doesn't jive with the culture, even when people call us naive and silly for following it. I mean, it's no coincidence that on the day that we see Jesus begin to collect his disciples, we also read 1 Corinthians 10, a passage about what it looks like to name sin and be an active follower of Christ. As Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 calls out sins such as drunkenness, homosexual acts, adultery, greed, and gluttony, it feels uncomfortable to read that and have it read to us. And I'm here to tell you that if that feels uncomfortable to you, it's normal that it does. But we have to decide how serious we are going to take Jesus looking at the scripture and saying amen and amen. Are we willing to come and submit our beliefs, our ethics, our morality, our money and our lives to Christ from the jump? Or are we listening to Christ? with our arms folded up and thinking that we get to decide just how much of what he says is true for us. Are we reading the word of God instead of trusting it, allowing ourselves to be the judge and jury? In other words, are we willing to follow Christ and follow truth when it is uncomfortable? Are we ma- or are we making ourselves the one who dictates what truth actually is do we read the bible and say i don't know about that it may make me unpopular with my friends i don't know about that if i believe that i'm going to have to repent of some of my ways some of my habits that have become ingrained in me or this one may feel particularly relevant i don't know about that because jesus's words they seem to go against my political party or my favorite or what my favorite politician says is true and right. So that's the what of following Jesus. But if we see this passage, we also we read this passage, we also see the why. Why did Daniel and the rest of the disciples and us as Christians today choose to follow him? 
like Nathaniel, we need to come face to face with Jesus and see that he is not necessarily who we always want him to be, but he is absolutely who we need him to be. Like Nathaniel, we have to meet Jesus to find that he does not always meet our preconceived notions of who he is because he is not lesser, but so much greater. Like Nathaniel, we find that he both knows, Jesus both knows Nathaniel and is powerful enough to allow Nathaniel to truly know God. Verse 47 says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. So we see here that he understands, Nathanael understands that Jesus is looking at him and he knows who he is. He's been following him. He calls him out. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He affirms who Nathanael is in the, the track record for his life. But notice also what he says at the end of the passage in verse 40, 53. I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. This image sounds strange to us, and you may have read this without even thinking back to Genesis 28, and you're not alone in that. But I, it would have been perfectly understandable to Nathaniel. Jesus did just affirm he's truly an Israelite, meaning that he understands the Old Testament and is well-versed on passages like this from Genesis 28. And, well, if you aren't to Genesis 28, let me give you a little refresher. It's about Jacob, whose name was later turned to Israel, and he had this crazy dream. It's not so crazy because it came from the Lord. In this dream, he sees a stairway stretching from earth to heaven, and on the stairway, Jacob sees angels of God ascending and descending. Beside the stairway, Jacob sees God who declares, I am Yahweh, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. And so after he wakes up, Jacob's eyes are opened to who God is and says, surely God is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. He continues by saying, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So he names the place Bethel, meaning house of God. And Jacob in Genesis 28 is blown away because God has given him a vision, not only of this, you know, super cool dream, but what that dream represents is a connection to God. The God who is so big, who is so powerful, who created all the heavens and the earth, who is who seems so far away. God look, looks down at Jacob and says, you can be connected to me. And here is a vision for you to understand that. A stairway to heaven. So when Jesus tells Nathaniel that he will see heaven open in the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway to heaven, Jesus is declaring that he himself is that gateway to God. Colossians 2.9, in Jesus lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Church, Jesus is the one that through his life, death, and resurrection will connect God's people to God forever. He will bridge the gap that we cannot bridge on our own. He is the stairway that we cannot build high enough to reach God. 
So Jesus is not just the one that Nathaniel and Philip and Andrew and Peter and us can trust. He's not just the one who knows them and knows us and wants to be in a relationship to them and to us. He's the only one who has the power to connect you to God now and forever. So church, may we, as God's people, as as Nathaniel saw 2,000 years ago, may we see Jesus for who he truly is. And may we do what Nathaniel does and follow him. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the Bible and for stories like the story in John 1. And may you, through the work of the Holy Spirit, give us a heart to follow after you. May we understand the incredible love of Christ, that he not only knows us, but he wants to be in relationship with us and has the power to connect us to God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.